0: Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 7, as we read the verses 1 through 8. Let us hear the word of God. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, twelve thousand were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, sometimes a novel or a movie begins with a flashback. And by that I mean it begins in the present and then brings you back to the past in order to provide the context. In fact, in some cases, the context itself is the story. Well, something similar to this is happening in our text passage. Last week, we reflected on Revelation 6, the verses 12 through 17. We have there a description of what will take place on the last day. And we learned that it will be a day of unprecedented cosmic disturbances. John tells us that there will be a great earthquake. The sun will become black as sackcloth of hair and the moon like blood. The stars of heaven will fall to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. The sky will recede as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island will be moved out of its place. It will also be a day of great terror. For John says, The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, will hide themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they will say to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? This will be a day like no other, nor will there be a day like it ever again, for it will be the final day. Now, perhaps as we studied these verses last week, you were wondering what about believers who are living on the earth on that day? What will happen to them? Will they also be destroyed? we find the answer to that question in our text, Revelation 7, the verses 1 through 8. And there we read that before these terrible events take place, including the events ushered in by the four horsemen in chapter 6, the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel will be sealed by God. And so, contrary to the claims of some, this chapter does not follow chronologically from the events described in chapter 6. Rather, it is a parenthesis. It's a flashback. It reveals what takes place before the six seals are loosened. And as such, it explains the vision of chapter 6 in more depth and provides a larger background so that we can better understand what is happening. Well, with this in mind, and the help of the Lord, let's consider these verses under the theme, The Sealing of the 144,000. We'll consider, first of all, their identity, and secondly, their blessedness. The words of our text are part of John's description of the opening of the sixth seal. This description began in chapter 6, verse 12, and it continues to the end of chapter 7. The seventh seal, described in chapter 8, describes the events leading up to the return of Christ. But before this seal is opened, John, in chapter 7, provides us with a dramatic interlude. He goes back, as it were, to the beginning, to before the opening of the first seal. And he does that in order to assure us that before the terrible events described in chapter 6, verses 12 through 17 the people of god will be sealed. Now John begins this chapter by describing four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And the fact that they're standing on the four corners of the earth means they have sovereignty over the whole world. Since the world figuratively speaking has four corners or four cardinal directions north, south, east, and west. What is more, they're standing to indicate that they are ready to do something. They're primed and ready for action. Well, as they stand there, John says, they hold, or we can perhaps better translate, they hold back the four winds of the earth. These four winds are probably a reference to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, described in chapter 6, the verses 1 through 8. And I say that because these four horsemen are clearly modeled after the horsemen of Zechariah 6 verses 1 to 8, which are also identified as the four winds of heaven. And they are holding or holding back the four winds so that, as John writes in our text, they do not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. In other words, So they do not cause any harm to come on the world or its inhabitants. And now the fact that they are holding these winds back implies that they're not yet ready to unleash them. Why not? Well, John tells us in verses 2 and 4. And there he writes that as the four angels held back the four winds, he saw another angel ascending from the east. Now, in Scripture, the east often, though not always, represents hope and promise and blessing, probably because the sun rises in the east, signifying a new beginning. And what's especially significant about this angel is what he had in his hand. It was, as John says, the seal of the living God. Now, we'll come back to that seal later. But suffice it to say now that this seal is very important for it distinguishes those who are saved from those who are not saved. Well, as this angel holds the seal in his hand, he cries with a loud voice to the four angels, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now here we learn why the four angels were holding back the four winds. It's because not all of the servants of God have been sealed. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, first of all, who are the servants of God? Well, the servants of God clearly are the elect. They are those who have been chosen to everlasting life from every nation under heaven from the beginning of time to the end of time. And according to verse 4, they number 144,000. Now, we find that same number also in Revelation 14, the verses 1 and 3. Now, why 144,000? Well, like most of the other numbers in Revelation, the number 144,000 is not to be taken literally, but figuratively. Now, make no mistake, contrary to the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses, there are not going to be only 144,000 people in heaven. The number 144,000 is achieved by multiplying 12 by 12 by 1,000. The first number, 12, represents the Old Testament church, since there were 12 tribes of Israel. The second number, 12, represents the New Testament church, since there were 12 apostles. This number is then multiplied by a 1,000 to show that the number of the elect is vast. In fact, in Revelation 7, verse 9, where the, the scene shifts from earth to heaven, John says that he saw a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Now this raises the question, if the number of the elect is so vast that no man can number them, why are they numbered at all? Well, one reason may be to remind us that not everyone will be saved, only a certain number of people will be saved. But another reason may be to communicate that the church on earth in both the Old and New Testaments is an army And that's because in the Old Testament, whenever a census was conducted among the tribes of Israel, its purpose was always to determine the military strength of the nation. In other words, to find out how many men were available to serve in the army. And that's probably the case here as well. By assigning a figurative number to the elect, John is reminding us that we are called as believers in Christ to fight. The church of Christ in this dispensation is the church militant, called to do battle against sin, the devil, and the world. And I wonder if we think about that enough. Most of the time we think of the church as a building, a place where we come together to worship God. But friends, the building is not the church. It's people. The church is people. It's God's people. And we're not just here to put in time. We should not be, figuratively speaking, just standing around waiting for the Lord to come back. No, we are soldiers, and the church is an army. And that means we should be fighting against the evil in our hearts and in our world, taking a firm stand for truth and justice, defending the name and reputation of our King laboring to expand his kingdom, doing his will, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Well, are you doing that today? Does that also show itself in your life? Does your life manifest that you are a soldier in the army of the Lord? Are you fighting? And do you have the battle scars to prove it? If not, it may very well be that you're not a true believer. Because a believer, by definition, is one who fights. Now, another question that comes up in this connection is why the 144,000, or the elect, are said to be drawn from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, there have been some who have said that the number 144,000 is a literal number of Jews who will be converted to Christ after believers have been raptured from the earth. But it's probably best to interpret this symbolically rather than literally. And there are several reasons for that. First of all, two tribes are missing in this list, the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim. Now that may be because Jeroboam's golden calves were erected in Dan and Ephraim. And as such, these two tribes led Israel into idolatry. And since the Bible clearly teaches that idolaters do not enter the kingdom of God, it's likely that this is the reason why these tribes were omitted. Secondly, you may have noticed that the order of the tribes is different from the customary order in which the tribes are listed in the Old Testament. Normally, Reuben is listed first because he was the oldest, but here in this list, Judah is listed first and then Reuben. Now, that could be because the Lord Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah. The order of the tribes has been changed in light of the gospel and the way in which the promises of the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Christ. Thirdly, you may have noticed that this list presents the sons of Jacob's concubines before the sons of Jacob's wives. After Judah and Reuben, the firstborn, came Gad, Asher, Naphtali, who were born of concubines. Then we have the sons born of Jacob's wives, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, the most likely explanation for this is that the sons of Jacob's concubines signify the inclusion of the Gentiles who are now inserted ahead of legitimate Israelite sons. Fourthly, notice that at the time of John's writing, the twelve tribes no longer even existed in a literal sense. The ten northern tribes were taken into captivity by the Assyrians hundreds of years earlier, never to return to the promised land. And there was little left of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. So what we have here is not a picture of literal Israel at all, but rather a picture of the true Israel of God, which is the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible often uses Old Testament language to describe the New Testament church. The number of Christ's apostles corresponds to Israel's tribes and Jesus promised that they would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In Romans 2 verse 26 the Apostle Paul said that a true Jew is one who believes in Christ. In Romans 11 he taught that Gentile Christians are grafted into the olive tree of Israel. In Galatians 6 verse 16 he refers to the Christian church as the Israel of God. And in Ephesians 2, Paul reminds the Ephesian Christians of what they once were as Gentiles. They were cut off from the commonwealth of Israel without hope and without God in the world. And then he goes on to say that with the coming of Christ in the flesh, all that has changed. He writes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who at one time were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints And of the household of God. And that's true here as well. By referencing the 12 tribes of Israel, John is telling us that the New Testament church is merely the continuation of the old. The point is, the 144,000 represent the sum total of the elect drawn from every nation under heaven. And this, of course, raises the question do you include yourself in that number? Are you one of the 144,000? Now maybe you say, well, how can I tell that? Because aren't the elect known only to God? And since that is so, is this even legitimate to ask such a question? Can we even know if we are one of the elect? And the answer to that question is clearly yes. You say, how can I know that I'm, if I'm one of the elect? Well, you simply observe within yourself the marks of election. Now, what are these marks? Well, the Canons of Dort, one of the Reformed Confessions in chapter 1, article 12, mentions a number of them. It mentions, for example, a true faith in Christ, a looking to and resting on Christ, and his atoning work is the only hope and ground of our salvation. That's a mark of election. It mentions, too, a filial or son-like fear, a striving to live a holy life, living every moment of every day in the presence of God to his glory. That's also a mark of election. Another mark of election is a godly sorrow for sin, which is a deep contrition of heart over one's sinfulness before God and and a determined resolve to put it to death. Another mark of election is a hungering and thirsting after righteousness, not my own righteousness, because I have none, but rather the righteousness of Jesus Christ and a striving to become more and more godly by the power of the Holy Spirit within me. My friend, if these things are present in you, Even to some degree, you have no reason to doubt that you are one of the elect. You are one of the 144,000. But if they're not in you, if you know nothing of these things, I have to tell you, you're still spiritually dead. And if you're still spiritually dead, you must turn to the Lord. You must repent. You must confess your sins and ask him to save you. And he will, for this is his promise And this is his delight. Oh, will you do that? Do not delay. Remember, at present, the four angels are holding back the four winds of God's judgment, but they will not hold them back forever. One day, when the last of the elect are saved, they will unleash those four winds upon the earth. And if you are not saved, you will surely perish. But if by God's grace you are saved, you will enjoy great blessedness. And that brings us to our second point. As we've seen, the period between the first and second comings of Christ will be a period of great turmoil, suffering, and persecution. But the people of God, the 144,000, have nothing to fear. Why not? Because they're sealed. Now that's clear from verses 5 through 8. There we learn... That 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel were sealed. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's likely John here is referring to Ezekiel chapter 9. The people of Jerusalem in Ezekiel 9 were worshiping idols in the temple of God. You can read about that in the previous chapter in Ezekiel chapter 8. And this understandably made God angry, so angry that he summoned those who had charge over the city, probably angels, to draw near each with a deadly weapon in his hand. Suddenly six men appeared. One of the men was clothed with a linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. And God called to the man with the inkhorn and commanded him to go through the midst of the city and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. And he commanded the others to go after him and to kill anyone who did not have the mark of God upon him, including women and children, young people, and seniors. Something similar is happening here in our text. Before the judgments of God are unleashed on the earth, God put a mark on the foreheads of his people. This mark for them was a kind of seal. In ancient times, a seal was placed on important documents. The writer would take some wax and pour it on the document and then impress his seal on it to indicate that it was authentic. But believers are also sealed, not with wax, but with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul writes that after believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, the believers at Ephesus were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him and his atoning sacrifice as the only hope and ground of our salvation, then the triune God takes up his abode in our hearts. He dwells within us and seals us with his Holy Spirit. Now well, that's a great comfort, isn't it? The fact that we who are believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit means we belong to God. A seal is a mark of ownership. It declares that the document that is sealed belongs to the author, and the same is true for believers. Believers do not belong to themselves. They belong to God. Specifically, they belong to Jesus Christ, who redeemed them, not with silver and gold, but with his own precious blood. And this is exactly what the Scriptures teach in Romans 14, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Similarly, in First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, the same apostle writes, Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Yes, if you're a believer today, you belong to God. And since that is so, you have nothing to fear from the judgments of God that will come upon the earth in the last day. Yes, they will affect us, but they cannot and will not destroy us for we belong to God. But secondly, the fact that we who are believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit means that we are protected by God. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the account of Cain killing his brother Abel. And When the Lord confronted him about this, he cursed him and told him that the earth would no longer yield its increase to him. From that day forward, he would be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. When Cain heard this he complained to God and he said my punishment is greater than I can bear. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond of the earth and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And in order to prevent that from happening the Lord put a mark on Cain indicating that he was not to be put to death. Now this was a different mark than is placed on the people of God for Cain we know was not a believer. But both were from God and both signify protection. And since that is so, my dear believer in Christ, you have nothing to fear from the judgments of God that will come upon the earth. Again, yes, they will affect us. Yes, they will cause pain. But they cannot and they will not destroy us, for we are protected by God. Oh, how wonderful it is, therefore, to be a Christian and to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. For as we've seen, the period between the first and second comings of Christ will be a period of great trial and great affliction, the four horsemen have been unleashed resulting in conquest and war economic upheaval and disease by and death by disease and plague but we who are in Christ have nothing to fear for we have been sealed by the holy spirit of god my friend are you sealed today there's only one way to receive that sealing and it is in the way of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ so have you repented have you believed Unless you do, you will not be able to stand before God. You will perish in your sins. And this is why the commands to the four angels to hold back the four winds of judgment, he's waiting until the last of the elect have been brought into the net. But when that time comes, there will be no more opportunity for salvation. Mark my words, the day of grace will have passed you by. And so make haste. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, and you will be saved and sealed both now and to eternity. Amen. Dear friends, it's a great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or if you have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Please take the time to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road, that's spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. And please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you free of charge a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Prunk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace. And we hope that it may be a rich blessing to you and yours. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at www.banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, that's spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. For that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active contributing member of a faithful Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, May the Lord be with you all.